Welcome everyone interested in this ancient text called the Bible, written thousands of years ago, and yet they say it's supposed to mean something to us today. I'm your host, Jonathan the Dumb Christian, and in order for us to figure out what it means to us today, we're going to try and understand what it meant when it was written back then, and we are going to explore Genesis chapter 15, when God makes a covenant with Abram, one of the most important covenants in the Jewish uh, history in the Jewish um, tradition, the thing one that they hold on to really dearly, um, even more so sometimes than the covenant of circumcision. We're not going to get into that for a few chapters, but today we're going to discover uh, a, some qualities about God that He wants to reveal about Himself, and a wrestling match that Abram has that just might be one we can all relate to. The Bible is about to get very real. We might get a little bit colorful, so buckle up. And welcome to Dumb Christian. The entire Bible, especially Genesis, is this progressive revelation of who God is, where he's revealing character qualities about himself um, to generations over the span of, of years, hundreds of years. Instead of just giving, revealing his whole self to one person and overwhelming someone, saying, hey, here's all of who I am, write it down in a book, now read it and worship, he's actually progressively revealing little bits of himself, a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. He starts with Adam, right? And then he goes Noah and Abram, and he's revealing a little bit more of who he is. And here at the beginning of Genesis chapter 15, he, he reveals... Uh, one aspect at the beginning and, and some other aspects of who he is later in the chapter. But at the beginning, he says, Abram, fear not, for I am a shield. I am a protector. I am a defender. And what God is about to do is he's about to show Abram something really nightmarish, terrifying. And I think what he's trying to do is like, prepare yourself. You're about to walk through something terrifying, but I want to establish and remind you, I want you, I want it to be fresh in your head. I am a shield about you. I am going to protect you. So have that in your uh, arsenal, have that ready to go. And he says, I'm a shield and I'm going to bless you greatly. And Abram says, Yes, I know that you're going to bless me. You have been blessing me overly, abundantly, and and it's incredible. But God, what good is a blessing if I don't have a family to share it with, if I don't have kids to give these gifts and these blessings to? And this is a callback to a few chapters ago in Genesis chapter 12, when God promised Abram, uh, I, I'm going to give your offspring the land of Canaan. If we remember when God, when God first called Abram out of Haran, he says, I'm going to give this land to your descendants, your kids and their kids and their kids and their kids and their kids. And here again, in Genesis chapter 15, God is revisiting that. And he's saying, I'm going to give you kids because Abram's a little concerned. He's saying, um, I have an heir to all my wealth and my blessings, but it's not my own child. It's a servant in my house. I really would like my own kids. I'm in my 80s, God. Let's not forget how old I am. And this is, we're time's running out. And instead of explaining how it's going to work, God says, all right, come outside. 
So Abram gets up, steps out of his tent, and it's, I, I, I guess it's just starting to get dark. It's just dark enough that you can start to see the stars. They also didn't have uh, light pollution and, you know, the stuff that affects our ozone and how we can see today. They didn't have that then, so you could see the stars more clearly. I think there are certain parts of the world where you can still go outside, and even when the sun is out, you can see the stars. So he takes them out and he says, look, if you can count the stars, that's how many your descendants will be. It's going to be a massive nation that comes from your loins that will inhabit and possess this whole land of Canaan. That's the whole reason I brought you here. This is the whole reason I had your dad take you out of Ur, the land of Sumer. And that's the whole reason I called you out of Haran where your father is staying. And I brought you here so that your offspring, your children will make a nation here in this land of Canaan. And then it says that Abram believed God, and it was counted to him as righteous. Abram was considered righteous, not because he was a perfect person, not because he was really good, because he obeyed all the laws, but because he trusted God. He believed that what God said was true. And this is a quality that's quoted several times in the New Testament, a few other times in the Old Testament. This is like the epitome of what it means to be a follower of God and to be righteous in God's eyes. God called Abram righteous because he believed in him. He believed that what he said was true. Hmm. I think there's something there, maybe. However, the very next thing Abram says is, uh, how shall I know that I am to possess the land? Okay. So when we read the Bible, what we need to understand is that translators are doing their best to do a literal translation. This is the word that was said in our English language, right? But there is a great difference in um, the way that language is understood when it's interacted with. So when we read this and we say, okay, well, in, in one verse, it says Abram believed God and it was credited to him as a righteousness. But in the next verse, he says, yeah, but prove it. Like, how do I know this is true? Right? Like, well, is it, is it different? Like, which is it? Does he actually believe or is he not quite believe? And so taking some time to get into the Hebrew and, and look at the individual words in his, how shall I know I'm going to possess it? might better be understood as I believe you God I just don't understand how it's going to work again back to the kids right I believe you God but I'm in my 80s how is this going to work Sarah has already gone through menopause uh, you know like science right <laughs> you don't think it be like it is but it do and uh, at this point, kids are not really an option for us. So I believe you. I just don't get how it's going to work. And God says, okay, what I want you to do is I want you to go get a heifer, a goat, a ram, a pigeon, and a turtle dove. Five animals. And then what Abraham does is he goes, collects these animals, kills them, 
drains the blood. And for the heifer, goat, and ram, he actually cuts the carcass into two whole pieces. Like, this is not a simple task. Like, he's cutting through flesh and muscle and bone and guts and it's messy and and he's separating these animals he's dividing them he's cutting them and dividing them which is going to be important because this is actually where the word covenant comes from it comes from the idea of cutting and dividing which we'll have to come back to in a second but he's dividing these carcasses except for the birds he he leaves the birds whole he kills them they're dead but he leaves them intact he separates the heifer into two pieces, the goat into two pieces, the ram into two pieces, and he, he lays them out in a line up, um, apart from each other with like this little walkway in between the pieces of the carcass and then the birds at the end of the aisle. And he just underwent this really gruesome, violent, arduous, sweat-inducing task of killing, of, of collecting, killing, cutting and dividing and arranging and, and he's like, okay, now what? God, I'm trying to understand how you're going to do what you've promised me that you're going to do. And you've asked me in response to my desire to know how you're going to do what you're going to do. You've asked me to do this really hard, gross, bloody work. And then he just waits. And he's waiting. And then some vultures and some carrion birds come down to try and take away this thing that God had Abram do. He try, they, these birds tried to take away the work Abram had just accomplished. They tried to um, ruin and destroy. They tried to tear apart this thing that God had Abram do. And so he gets up, scares them away, and tries to shoot them off. And he's waiting and he's waiting and then he gets up and scares the birds off that try to ruin this work that he's doing for God and he's waiting and it's this okay God now what anyone know what that's like yeah and while he's waiting it starts to get really really dark so dark that it kind of invades his mind and he ends up having a nightmare this really like horrific nightmare vision that he can't tell if it's real or not you ever have one of these where you like wake up and you're like still like terrified you're sweating and you're trying to figure out if you need to run for your life or if you're safe he falls into this deep nightmarish vision trance and he sees a nation of people who look like him, but they are oppressed and they're being beaten and abused and murdered and they're suffering under slavery in a nation far away. And God is speaking to him through this nightmare, but drawing back to that very first thing that God told him, right? Hey, don't forget, I am a shield about you. Your descendants are going to be foreigners in a land where they will be slaves for 400 years. And this is a bit of a prophetic vision for Abram and for the readers to understand that what's going to happen in the next book, Exodus, is actually 
Abram's descendants, who, who start as a very small tribe of like 70 people, is going to flourish into a nation of millions of people while they are under the thumb, oppression, and slavery in a foreign land. In Exodus, we'll discover that it's Egypt. But right now, God is just telling him, hey, this is part of the process, part of the plan. We're going to discover that actually... Uh, that captivity in Egypt almost protects the nation and, and allows them to become a multitude of people. But we'll have to get to that later. And he's showing Abram, but I will deliver your descendants from bondage, from slavery, and I will punish that nation that made them slaves. And then I will bring them back into this land, the land of Canaan that I promised you, that I promised your offsprings, and they're going to flourish. They're going to establish a mighty kingdom for my glory. And it all starts with your obedience here. And then he wakes up from this nightmare trying to determine what's real, if I need to run for my life or what. And as he's rubbing his eyes and he gets clear about what's going on, he looks over at the carcasses who have, that have been separated and he sees moving between the pieces, the parts, a flame and a, f a smoking fire pot. Okay. There... In, in, in Jewish tradition, there is always a metaphor for something. There's always some sort of symbolism. And I had a really difficult time trying to discover and understand what's going on with the heifer, ram, goat, and birds. And there are tons of different ideas that suggest, oh, they represent Israel or they represent, um, you know, punishment or they represent invading armies. And there's all these like conflicting ideas that don't necessarily make sense and they aren't really supported with scripture. And and I, I think maybe there's some value in taking a second to address the fact that sometimes commentaries, sermons, teachings, even podcasts aren't always the best resource for us to learn about the Bible. Sometimes we just have to let the Bible say what it says, which is why I encourage you, go read it for yourself. It it says what God wanted it to say, and he'll always say it better than I can say it, than anyone can say it. And there is value in just reading what it says without trying to unpack and, you know, what's really going on. But sometimes it's valuable to just understand that, Maybe it's just a heifer, a goat, a ram, a pigeon, and a turtle dove. But what's happening is that God is representing himself as a, as a flame and a smoking fire pot. Because the flame and the fire pot are moving through between the two pieces. This is God himself walking between the divided carcasses as a declaration to Abram, look, I haven't told you how it's going to happen. I've shown you a vision of things way down the road, like 700 years into the future. And I haven't answered, actually answered your question about how it's going to work, but I promise that it's going to. And he represents himself in a physical form as fire and a smoking fire pot. Now, Throughout the Bible, God reveals himself through the physical manifestation of fire. 
uh, we see that there's a pillar of fire that leads Israel through the desert after they are liberated and saved from slavery in Egypt. And this pillar of fire leads them to the promised land. And it's God providing light and there is power in fire. So God is representing and revealing that he is light and power. But then there's also a smoking fire pot. And this one really has me scratching my head. A fire pot is is like a, a typically a ball or maybe a cube. It's like a, a, a what am I trying to say? It's not like a box, but it's like um um why can't why can't I think of the thing? It's a, like a case. Let's say it's a case. And it's hollowed out with some holes in it. And what you would do is you take the top off and you would put um, red hot flaming coals from an active fire. You would take the coals from the fire and you would put it in the fire pot so that you could take the fire and transport it from one location to another. And what the fire pot did is it protected both the person carrying the fire and it protected the fire from being extinguished. It gave it aeration, some holes to keep it hot and burning. And then you could take it to the new fire pit where you wanted another fire and you remove the coals, you pour them out onto the kindling and it starts another fire. And it seems as though as God is revealing both his power to do what he says he's going to do by giving Abram kids. He's also going to protect the offspring, even as they travel from place to location throughout Canaan and into Egypt. He's going to protect them while they're there, preserve that fire, the light and the power that he has started in Abram. And he will continue through his descendants as they travel across the land, regardless of where they wander. He will preserve and protect them. And this is the second covenant that God makes with Abram. And it comes in a couple parts. He says, I'm going to give you kids. They will endure slavery, but I will bring them back and they will be wealthy when they come back. They're going from slaves to kings overnight. I promise you these things. The first covenant that we saw God make with people was the rainbow covenant. There's a language that suggests there was a covenant with Adam and Eve. You know, there's other covenants throughout, but this is the second time the Bible uses the word covenant. And it, it comes from the Hebrew concept of cutting and dividing. And what God is saying as he walks between the two pieces of the carcass is he's saying, if I don't keep this promise that I've made to you, I am as good as these carcasses. I can be cut and divided into two. I can be, I am, I'm as good as dead if I don't keep my promise. And these two manifestations of God, the flame and the fire pot are these representations where he's saying, look, it's it, everything about my promise. I'm going to preserve and keep. I, I guarantee it. I establish this covenant with you to secure and ensure. Look, I, I can't tell you how, but I promise I'm going to. And what's really interesting about the first two covenants that the Bible identifies as covenants that God makes with people is there's no responsibility on the people's part. 
God is solely responsible for the effects of the covenant and keeping the covenant, not breaking it. There's nothing that people can do that has to do with the rainbow covenant where God says, I won't flood the earth again. There's no involvement on people. And here, Abram doesn't isn't given any responsibility. Typically, the, a covenant is between two parties, and they both will walk between the the separate the decapitated severed carcasses, and both of them say, if either one of us break this agreement, we're as good as dead. But here, God is saying, I'm the only one involved in this, and I guarantee I'm gonna keep my promise. And this promise to bring Israel back and give them this massive land. In fact, the the borders of the land of Israel that are described in this chapter make the nation of Israel, the land of Israel, huge. And, and up to this point, literally today in 2022, the people, the nation of Israel have never had their borders of their nation extend as far as God promises here in Genesis chapter 15. So even today, the Jewish people hold very uh, elevated, very with great import importance, this covenant that God promised us, he's going to give us the land and he's going to extend the borders to, to reach farther than they've ever extended before in history. Under King Solomon was probably the closest they've ever been, but even in that uh, in that kingdom, they didn't extend to the reach that God promised they would. So Jews today are still holding to this promise. And for almost 2,000 years, the, the Jewish people were without a nation. They were exiled, uh, you know, after the fall of Jerusalem, like 70 AD, 100 AD, somewhere in there. The Jews just were like ex- banished. They just spread across the land. And they didn't have a home until 1948 when the UN decided, let's reestablish some boundaries for the nation of Israel in the land of Canaan, where Abram was taken. And let's once again, give them a recognized nation state in that land. And they are there today. And Jews are constantly returning to the land of Israel. The borders aren't quite where God promised they would be. So there's this expectation they're still waiting for Messiah, Mashiach, uh, which as Christians, we believe was Jesus, is Jesus. But uh, many Jews don't believe that Jesus was the Messiah, and maybe someday we'll explore why. But they're still waiting for Messiah in hopes that when Messiah does come, this militant leader, he will extend the borders of Israel to reach where God promised Abram here in Genesis 15. And that is God's covenant to Abram, his descendants, and that even though we might not know how God is going to keep his promises, he get, he says, I guarantee I will. And that is something maybe each of us have to wrestle with when we consider who this God is, who reveals himself to be a shield, a flame, and a fire pot. I've been your host, Jonathan, the dumb Christian. I love you guys. Catch you later. All right, guys, that is Abram and God in uh, God making a covenant with Abram, claiming that if I don't keep my promises, I'm as good 
as dead. What an interesting character quality of the Yahweh God we read about in the Old Testament, so contrastly different to any other God ever. And this is Abram, an example of what it means to be righteous by believing and trusting God, even if we don't understand how it's all going to work out. Be sure to check out our YouTube page, Jum... Dumb Christian Podcast. We got exclusive content up there. Subscribe, hit like, ring that bell. Here comes the butler. You want mean for pillow? Love you guys. Later. Oh.